A whole lot of folk are saying that this new Netflix project about the life and legacy of Baird Rustin is just that, outstanding. And uh, I suspect that uh, a lot of folk are going to see this uh, project on Netflix uh, about the life and legacy of one Baird Rustin uh, in the days ahead. Uh, and in the days ahead, we'll be talking to some of the talent who appear in the film, uh, the Netflix project. But today... In advance of those guests, a conversation with Michael G. Long, editor of the book, Bayard Rustin, A Legacy of Protest and Politics. Uh, I'm delighted to have Michael Long on this program. Michael, how are you today, sir? I'm doing okay, Tavis. It's great to be with you. It's great to have you on. Thank you for this, uh, these few minutes here to talk about Bayard Rustin. Let me just ask a broad question. We'll narrow as we move through this uh, time together. But uh, if you were asked, uh, as you are now, who was Bayard Rustin? To that uh, essential question, you'd say what? I would say that Bayard Rustin was an openly gay, black, socialist, pacifist, ex-convict, brilliant Mm -hmm. strategist of the civil rights movement. Yeah. Um, And of all of those uh, labels that you've just given him, and I say labels, you know, in a a kind and generous way, not not in a a Uh demeaning way, uh, of all those titles you put on him, maybe get off the word labels and go to titles, of all those titles you've assigned to him, um, which one of those um, stand out for you in terms of how it helped him frame the work and witness that he engaged? I would say brilliant. Uh, Rustin was the strategist of the civil rights movement, and he was the one really who took Dr. Screen, Dr. King's dream and tried to turn it into concrete reality. You know, it was one thing uh, to dream and be the great visionary that Dr. King was. It was another thing to take that dream and turn it into a concrete reality, especially through protest. Mm -hmm. And that was uh, Rustin's strategic role. Yeah. Um, Let let me ask you this question. I could have begun our conversation here a few minutes ago with this question, but let me just weave weave it in now. Uh, And the question is, why now? Uh, And and by why now, I mean, uh, Byard is getting all of this attention of late, this Netflix Netflix film that everybody's, again, talking about, um, your book. There are other books that have been written um, and compiled about uh, uh, Baird Rustin. Um, And it's fascinating for me when you do this as long as I've done it for a few decades now. Uh, as a broadcaster, uh, you see these moments where all of these um, uh, great Americans um, uh, who have been heretofore overlooked finally get their moment. They, they, they get their, if I can use the Andy Warhol phrase, they get their 15 minutes, right? Everybody starts to focus on them. We've seen this over the last decade or so when it comes to James Baldwin. Everybody now wants to quote Baldwin. We got Baldwin on T-shirts. It's like in the last, you know, 10 or 15, 20 years, everybody has come to really appreciate James Baldwin all these years later. And I sense that Bayard Rustin is having a moment right now. Are you reading it differently? No, he's having a moment. (laughs) It's the perfect storm to study and learn about Bayard Rustin. I think part of it, Tavis, is that we just celebrated the 60th anniversary of the March 1 Washington Mm -hmm. for Jobs and Freedom, and that's where he really created the template for all subsequent mass protests on Washington. And so I think that he's really played uh, an important role in U.S. history on that level, and we're pulling him out of the shadows because that's what we've done in recent years with uh, key figures who have been uh, absent in our mainstream history books uh, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. We've really focused attention on people who have been in the shadows. What does it mean to pull him, particularly Bayard Rustin, to pull him out of the shadows in this American moment? You take my question? 
Yeah, I think that pulling him out of the shadows right now is really key because the issues that he focused on are still so present in today's politics. Let's just take police brutality. Believe mm-hmm. it or not, one of the issues at the 1963 March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom that the leaders wanted to focus on was police brutality. Rustin was somebody who suffered at the hands of thuggish white police officers. Mm-hmm. Other organizers were suffered at the hands of thuggish white police officers, and they wanted to highlight that during the march. And indeed, the march was com- commemorating the lives of people who died at the hands of police brutality. So I think that issue alone, which still has incredible significance in today's politics, uh, was a driving force. Mm-hmm. Baird Rustin is the chief uh, organizer of the civil rights uh, movement uh, in 1963, uh, better known as the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. Uh, and that's not all he did. He did a, a, a great deal more. But I think that's uh, chief among um, the fine things that one could say about him is that he is the chief organizer of this uh, this march that changed this nation. Uh, all these years later, he is finally having, as I said earlier, his moment. There's a Netflix film about him. There are books written about him. And so we're spending some time talking about Baird Rustin uh, with the author, the editor of this book, uh, Baird Rustin, A Legacy of Protest and Politics. His name is Michael G. Long. He's our guest right now on Tavis Smiley. Seeking the truth. The truth. Speaking the truth. This is the Tavis Smiley Show. Sounds different, huh? This is Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley in conversation with Michael G. Long, who's the editor of the book, Baird Rustin, A Legacy of Protest and Politics. Um, if you haven't heard already, um, then uh, uh, then you, 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 you need to know that there's a great... Uh, film uh, that Netflix has done uh, about uh, the life of Mr. Rustin, uh, and everybody's in it. It's an all-star cast. In the days to come, we'll be talking to some of the some of the, the stars uh, who play uh, some of the various characters in this particular film uh, about Baird Rustin. But uh, Michael G. Long is the editor of a book called, uh, again, Baird Rustin: A Legacy of Protest and Politics. And so we're uh, having this conversation now in advance of those conversations in the in the days to come. So we we were we were talking earlier about how he's having a moment. And sort of being pulled out of uh, out of the shadows. Um, what what do you hope? Um, and it's um, let, me, let, me, let me let me let me put a pin in that for a second. I want to ask, and I will in a moment. What you hope this film teases out about uh, Abed Rustin that that people really need to wrestle with? We'll come to that in a second. Let me let me let me let me commence um, by by asking you to tell me more about this book. I I, I note, uh, of course, reading it myself, it has a forward. Uh, the book does by my friend Claiborne Carson. Uh, Claiborne Carson is not a stranger to this audience. This audience has heard him on here. He comes on regularly. Uh, he is the person that Coretta Scott King chose uh, to be in charge of the King Papers project at Stanford. He's now retired from that. Uh, but Claiborne Carson uh, is among the best this country um, has to offer when it comes to understanding the legacy of Dr. King. And you can't talk about Bed Rustin without talking about Dr. King. And so I love the fact that Claiborne Carson did the forward to the book. But tell me, uh, tell me how you went about uh, compiling and editing this book, uh, uh, Michael. Sure. One of the things we do with our heroes is freeze them at a moment in history. And so we freeze Dr. King at the March on Washington when he gives I Have a Dream speech. Mm-hmm. We freeze Rosa Parks at the Montgomery bus boycott. And I hope the movie will not lead us to freeze Byron Rustin merely at the March on Washington, though that is significant enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did the book to help us realize that 
Preston is much bigger than Mr. March on Washington. That's what A. Philip Randolph called him, and rightly so. Mm-hmm. But he was also much bigger than that as well. He was somebody who uh, helped King understand the importance of pacifism. Uh, he was under. He was somebody who uh, engaged with Malcolm X, especially in 1960 and 1961 on important issues. Mm-hmm. He was somebody who inspired Stokely Carmichael. Uh, he was somebody who really aligned uh, himself with the Democratic Party later on to try to establish economic justice for all. He traveled widely. The guy had his tentacles to have us everywhere. He really did. So what I'm hoping to do with the book is to help people realize that while Rustin was Mr. March on Washington, he was also much more than that. Yep. Um, tell me more about um, about any, any, any person, in this case, uh, uh, Baird Rustin, and there are a few others, Ozzie Davis. This could be said of Ozzie Davis. It could be said of Harry Belafonte. It could be said of Maya Angelou. But I'm always fascinated by people who lived in that era, who had relationships with both Martin and Malcolm. That wasn't easy to do, and yet Byer did. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. You know, uh, when Rustin showed up at Dr. King's home in Montgomery, he discovered that there were armed bodyguards. And Rustin sat down with Dr. King and encouraged him to adopt pacifism as a way of life. Sure, to adopt nonviolent tactics, but to adopt pacifism as a way of life to help uh, the movement stay peaceful. And this is what Dr. King did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rustin wrote speeches for Dr. King. He wrote articles for Dr. King. He helped him form the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. In 1960, though, Dr. King cuts Rustin out of his inner circle after Adam Clayton Powell calls King and threatens to go to the media to say that I'm going to tell the media that you are having a sexual affair with Byron Rustin. Now, why did uh, Powell do this? Because he didn't want King and Rustin to march on the Democratic National Convention. Was the rumor true? No, it wasn't. King was straight. Rustin was gay. Mm. They weren't involved. But, but King ran scared and cut Rustin out of the inner circle. While he's out of the inner circle, Rustin debates Malcolm X at Howard University. You can see the debates online, by the way. Mm-hmm. They're absolutely fascinating to watch. And Malcolm and Rustin had dr- dramatically different ideas, but they were friendly to each other and respected each other thoroughly and deeply. Yep, I'm glad you went there. I want to follow you, Michael. How did Rustin process emotionally, spiritually, psychologically? How did he process being cut out of, this is Mr. Mr. March on Washington. This is the guy who, who builds the stage, essentially. Uh, not literally, but builds the stage for King to have this iconic moment delivering that I have a dream speech. And then King later cuts him out of his inner circle. How, how, did, how did Rustin process that? Well, he actually cut him out, Tavis, in 1960, three years before the march. But he was crushed. I talked with Rochelle Horowitz, who was the transportation director of the march. She was also a close friend of Byard, and she said that Rustin was absolutely crushed. Uh, it, it seems that he went into a bit of a depressive episode, but he sort of worms his way back into the movement, as he mm-hmm. often did, uh, by by engaging with the young folks, especially those in SNCC and those in the Nonviolent Action Group at Howard. Mm-hmm. And King, according to Rochelle Horowitz, wanted to establish contacts with these kids, and he knew that in order to do that, Byard Rustin could be helpful. And he brought Rustin back into the inner circle, and that's when they started to work on the march. No, I'm, I'm glad you. I'm, I'm glad you. You correct me on that frame. You're right. He cuts. He cuts him out in advance of the march. I was. I'm getting these dates, 1663. What I was. What I, what I was driving toward was this. 
This is the guy that builds the stage for Martin to give this major speech, I Have a Dream, in 63. King has cut mm-hmm. Byard out of his inner circle, and yet that does not stop Byard from doing his job. And so my question, my first question was, how did Byard process being pushed out of the inner circle? You've answered that question. The question I was driving toward, though, is that when you've been cut out of somebody's inner circle, and yet you're working on this major project at which this other person is going to be the major speaker, your your ego, your 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 ego has to be bruised. You see what I'm getting at, and yet it didn't stop Rustin from doing his job. Yeah, I talked with uh, Rustin's longtime partner, Walter Nagel, about this very point. It's a great question. And he said that Rustin was simply a very forgiving person. I mm-hmm. think that's uh, what helped him get past that. You know, he was a Quaker. He was uh, devoted to Quaker principles like equality, personal dignity, pacifism, nonviolence, and forgiveness. And I think he drew upon his Quaker background in yeah. order to uh, help make the march successful. When we think of Quakers, we do think of pacifism, but we think of Quakers, we don't think of black men. We don't think of Negroes back in that era. How, how, how did Rustin end up in the Quaker community? Uh, his grandmother, Julia Rustin, who reared him, uh, was raised in a Quaker household uh, just outside of Philadelphia. And she received a Quaker education. And she passed on those uh, gifts, those ideas, to Rustin. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 how did in in that particular era, when uh, Rustin is being put upon, as you mentioned earlier, uh, being mal not just put upon, being maltreated by law enforcement himself? To your point, he's a gay black man. Um, how does one navigate a world where all of that is 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 coming down on you, uh, all that is pushing up against you, and yet you adopt? Uh, an attitude, a spirit of pacifism. I mean, one could certainly see how somebody caught in that situation would not just be angry, but indeed would lash out from time to time. It's hard to square those two things, all who, all that he was, all this coming at him, and yet he adopts this lifestyle of being a pacifist. Yeah, you know, he was criticized for his pacifism and nonviolence, especially during the Harlem Uprising of 1964 mm-hmm. when young folks uh, read him the Riot Act more for the most part for adopting pacifism but Rustin was really consistent on this very point and it really goes back to his uh adoption of quaker beliefs i also think that he adopted pacifism and nonviolence for on a practical level i think that he realized that if black folks took up guns uh they would be far outnumbered and outgunned by the government and so he tried to use pragmatism as well and, and appealing to younger folks who were more attracted to Malcolm X. Yeah. Um, this audience knows that uh, Dr. King is my hero. This audience knows, I've said more times than I can count, that to my mind, King is the greatest American this country has ever produced. That's my own assessment. Uh, this audience knows I've written a book about King called Death of a King, about the last year of his life. So the audience knows uh, quite well uh, my affinity, my love, my appreciation uh, for Dr. King. And yet, there are any number of things about King, if one were to ask me, people rarely do. Uh, but I do have a King critique. Uh, there are a number of things that King said and did that were he here now, I'd push back on him about. I'd, I'd want to question him and query him about certain things. And one of those things uh, you mentioned earlier, and I want to come back to it. Uh, we talked about it from the Rustin angle, the Rustin perspective. I want to now talk about it and look at it through the lens of King. I asked you earlier, how did Rustin process being put out of the inner circle by Dr. King? Now I want to look at it from the King perspective because um, – one could argue that 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 King sort of punked out on that, that 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 you have somebody, Adam Clayton Powell, Jr., no less, threatening you, 
threatening to go uh, public and to start a rumor that you were having an affair uh, with, uh, with, with Byard Rustin. Uh, and King succumbs to that threat and pushes Byard out of his inner circle, as you mentioned earlier. But there are any number of other things that King was threatened with, uh, including uh, a, a variety of threats, as we all know from J. Edgar Hoover. And King did not succumb to those threats. I mean, one of the things I love about Martin is that in the last year of his life, when all this is coming at him, we see who he really is. And he does not succumb to all of these threats and all of the he's, he's being bugged everywhere he goes. Uh, he says before he steps on the balcony to get and gets assassinated, I'd rather be dead than be afraid. That's Martin. I'd rather be dead than be afraid. And yet when Adam Clayton Powell Jr. comes at Dr. King with this particular threat about this rumor of him and uh, Rustin having an affair, Dr. King folds. He melts. He succumbs to that in that particular moment. I, I, I raise all that to ask whether or not, given that you've written so powerfully about Rustin, whether or not that in any way um, colors your view of Dr. King. Well, I love talking with you, Dallas. I think I'll let your point in some ways stand as a critique, but I'll also note that the context is important for understanding King's uh, reaction. You know, this is a homophobic society in 1960. Sure. It's incredibly homophobic. If you're gay at this point, you can be thrown in psychiatric institutions for being mentally disordered. You can be thrown in jail. You're called a sinner by religious leaders and on and on and on. And I think that King had real fear of being tainted by Russian's gay sexuality. And it was understandable. Uh, it was a reason. It was rational. It was also bigoted, unfortunately, and Rustin suffered at the hand. So I think I'll simply let your point stand as a sharp critique of King uh, choosing pragmatism over principles at this point in his life. Nope, that was that was nicely done, uh, Michael. Very nicely done. Uh, let, <laughs> let, let me let me ask you to tell me a bit more. Uh, watching my time, getting away from here. Tell me more about uh, about about Byron's politics. Hmm. Uh, Russell was a democratic socialist, and this is my favorite part of the March on Washington, by the way. Uh, A. Philip Randolph, his mentor, and Rustin insisted that the march would embrace and enact and express the themes of democratic socialism. And so one of the demands of the march, which almost everybody forgets, is the creation of a national minimum wage of $2 an hour, mm -hmm. 63 Now, if we count for inflation today, Ted, Tavis, that, that equals $19 an hour. That's $2 more than what Senator Sanders is calling for, $4 more than the Fight for 15 campaign. Mm -hmm. Rustin was a radical socialist. He wanted the government to engineer the economy so there would be full employment and decent jobs that would allow people to live lives of integrity. Yeah. You mentioned uh, Bernie Sanders. I'm glad you did because you're, you're not just uh, brilliant, but you're prophetic and prescient because I was going to go there anyway. So I, I, <laughs> I, and I want to go there, uh, Michael, because I am curious uh, as to how you think Bayard Rustin would fit in today. How would he fit in in this moment? He wouldn't have to be in the closet the way he was then. Uh, but as a Democratic Socialist, he'd be, you know, in the realm of a guy like Bernie Sanders. I'm just trying to give an example. Cornell West, my friend, is a Democratic Socialist. So he'd be sort of in that realm. But how, how, how would he fit in or not fit in, as it were, in this American moment, given his brand of Democratic Socialism? Uh, that's a great question. I think that he would uh, be closer to 
Bernie Sanders. I think he would be pushing Sanders to be even more radical in what he's calling for in terms of economic justice. Mm -hmm. I think Russell would be right there with American labor today Mm -hmm. and what appears to be a real key turning point for American labor uh, in terms of its growing strength. So I think he would be advocating for uh, labor as well. Uh, those are two key issues where I think he would be making a, a, a sharp move. Oh, on the other hand, what I want to say is that he would be aligning himself with the Democratic Party. That's what he wanted to do after the march. Just so his whole mission mm-hmm. to move from protest to politics, to realign the Democratic Party and make it focus on economic justice for all. Yeah, well, he'd, be, he'd still be fighting that fight because that ain't happened yet. <laughs> but but I, I digress on that point. Let me close by asking in the 45 seconds I have left, um, what you hope that your book uh, about Rustin, A Legacy of Protest and Politics, the other books that have been written about him, the Netflix film that everybody's going to see uh, about the life and legacy of Bayard Rustin, what do you hope um, the, the takeaway from all of this uh, spotlight being focused on him right now is or will be? I, I hope People develop a thirst to learn more about this amazing figure in U.S. history. He really transformed uh, U.S. history, especially U.S. protest history, by creating that template at the March on Washington. You know, women's rights marches, LGBTQ rights marches, uh, labor marches on D.C., uh, trying to get the federal government to turn toward them and recognize their rights. They're all attributable to Rustin. And I just love knowing, Tavis, that millions of people from now on will simply know the yes. word fired Rustin. I hope they'll, tr- I hope they'll, I hope they'll run after that. Those two yeah. words, Byard Rustin, and learn more about him. Nobody has written more about Byard Rustin than uh, Michael G. Long. He's the editor of a number of books about Byard Rustin, so he is the authority. Uh, and I am anxious to get his take uh, on uh, the film uh, when we all get a chance to see it and talk about it on Netflix. But for now, we thank him for his book, Byard Rustin, A Legacy of Protest and Politics. Michael, great work. Good to have you on. All the best to you, my friend. Uh, great chat. Thanks, Tavis. Thank you very much. More of Tavis Motley when we come forward.